So we're continuing through our, our sermon series, The Answer That Changes Your Life. The Answer That Changed Your Life. And it began with that simple question that each one of us needs to answer in our life in some form where it's not just a rhetorical question, but it's something that we really have to consider deep inside is who really is Jesus to each and every one of us? See, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about the importance of two routines that we want to keep up in our lives. We said produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so producing that fruit, it helps us to live out this truth or the answer that we have is, is Jesus Lord over my life? And how do we experience that? And the two exercises that we encourage you to do was number one was prayer. We said sometimes when we pray, because God already knows our prayer requests. He already knows the deepest physical, mental, relational, um, vocational needs that each one of us have. He says, don't you know that I know that you have these needs, that I even feed the birds of the air and the grass and the flowers of the field. How much more important are you to me? Jesus said, God knows these things, and he knows that you need them. And this is why he says, since you know your father knows that about each one of us, then Jesus invited us to a new way of praying. And he says, when you pray, he says, pray like this. And he gave us the disciples' prayer. And in the disciples' prayer, the whole point of that is to kind of lift us up out of our current circumstances and our limitations and the uh, worldview or the perspectives that we develop when we're living inside of our own circles and our own spaces, that everything just becomes about me and my issues and my stuff. And he says, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it lifts us beyond our, our limited scope and he puts us up higher where he says, now begin to see your life in, in the scope of my greater kingdom, that your life is much more than simply paying the bills or, or raising your own family. Those things are important. But he says, there's greater purpose that I want you to begin to discover. More things about your personality, your resources that I've given you. And he says, pray the Lord's prayer so that we can at times be aligned with God's kingdom and really see the work that he wants to do in our lives. And then uh, the second thing that we learned two weeks ago was not only do we pray that Lord's Prayer to get us into that place where we practice praying outside of our own circle, outside of our own needs, we also learned the importance of funding our faith. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure in a field and he uh, sold everything else in order to get that treasure. So in other words, what we are reminded from that parable is that we need to learn how to fund our faith. When, when we pray this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what does that look like in my life? And we begin to see it. When he begins to draw that vision to your life, he'll begin first with the small things. And so here's the first small thing that you go into. And it might be as small as saying, you know what, I'm going to make sure that worship is part of my weekly routine because it hasn't been. And if it hasn't been part of your routine, that's where you start. It starts with that small thing. We trade the things that we need to do, whatever else we've been doing on Sundays, whatever else we felt that it fed us on Sundays. We trade that space, the two or three hours, and we fund our faith by attending. Some of us are beyond that, where we already are going to church 
um, every week. And then he invites us saying, spend time with me in the mornings or in the evenings. Be in his word. And the spirit knows what we need. And when he begins to bring that inkling to us, we can know that he will not give us things that are overbearing that we can't handle at that time. But it will also be challenging though. Something that brings us out of our regular routine. Out of things that we are used to. See, today, I want to remind us all of something that we already know and we've already experienced in our everyday life. You see, as soon as we activate our faith this way, and some of us, we may have tried. We tried praying. We tried doing the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we tried funding our faith by trying to be consistent. But sometimes what happens immediately after, we feel like we're taking a step in the wrong, right direction. We feel like, wow, God must be so happy with me because I'm walking towards him. Our automatic default thinking usually that follows is because I'm doing what is right in God's eyes, I should experience blessings right away. Even though they may, that may not be our outright kind of uh, vocabulary or outright expression that we give, sometimes in our hearts, it's, there's that expectation. This, I'm doing this for God, or I started to do this, so God should start blessing me. I should start seeing the power of God's kingdom at work in my life. We don't expect things to get worse. We don't expect things to get heavier, more complex, more challenging. We expect our life to get better. But what we'll notice in today's story that we read in, in the Gospel of Matthew is more often than not, when we take a step in the right direction as God's Spirit leads us, the challenges that we begin to face actually becomes more so. It actually becomes more difficult. My goal today is not to discourage us. Is saying now that it gets more challenging, and where's the benefit then? Why would I do this if all it brings is, is hardship and, and difficulty? My, my desire is not to discourage you, but to warn you so that it hopefully prepares your heart to get through it. Remember, we ended last year going through the Psalms, right? Uh, Psalm 23. And one of the things that we learned in Psalm 23 in the middle is because the Lord is my shepherd, he says that he leads me through the darkest valleys. And we learned in that time that in the Middle East during that time, there were these dark valleys that the shepherd would have to, very treacherous and very narrow, that the shepherd would have to lead a sheep through to get to good pasture. The point was not to put them into challenging spaces. The point was to get them into a field that was already eaten up. There was no more nutrients in their current context that they were in. The point was to get them from here where there's nothing more that they can gain out of it to there where there was more lush pastures. And to get there, he had to lead them through darkest valleys. In the same way for our lives, those challenges that come up is not there to prove your faith. He's not there to just say, I just want to see whether you obey me or not. These challenges are there to help prune us and refine us and help bring things to our vision, our thought process to see, wow, I didn't know that this was interfering in my relationship with God. 
Some of us, we may feel like there's a blockage or there's a, something that's keeping us from going deeper and diving deeper into our relationship with God. And part of that valley, part of that darkest valley is to prune us. Because when we go through those specific challenges, they're the ones that are unique to you. That God has designed because they're the only one that are sharp enough to get to exactly the place that he needs to get to. To help break down whatever barrier, whatever mindset, whatever paradigm that we have that is contrary to you experiencing God more fully in your life. So let's read together our passage that comes from Matthew 3, verse 16 to 411. Uh, all of you are very familiar with this passage. It's the testing of Jesus Christ. But what we see here, we'll kind of see like this kind of like principle that we can learn about even Jesus as he's going through obedience to the Father. We see what we can ex expect through the paradigm of his life. I'll be reading from the NIV 3.16 reads this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are... The son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray as we get through today's message, the challenges that we face, when each one of us decide that, yes, we will follow you, when each one of us decide, yes, we will listen to what your spirit is calling us towards. And in faith and in anticipation, we will do this because we know that you are good. I pray, Father, as we decide to follow you, will you do, Father Lord, your good work in pruning us, helping us to get through the challenges, Lord. And as we get through it on the other side, not only do we see the blessing, Father Lord, and the new horizons that are there, the new mindset, the new perspective that we gain. But I also pray that you will break every chain, that you'll break every stronghold that's been keeping us in place, Father Lord, and preventing us from experiencing you more deeply as we have need. So I thank you, Father Lord. Bless us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So here's the operating question that, that I kind of like did in my introduction, and it's this. Why does God allow something bad? Why does God allow something so bad to follow something so good? Why does God allow that? It almost seems counterintuitive because if God wants to encourage us to follow him and to, and to keep on following him, shouldn't he reward obedience? Shouldn't he make it easier for us as we are trying to follow him? You know, have you ever noticed that after, we'll, we'll call it a spiritual high, after you have like this great moment with God, have you ever noticed as soon as you return home or get back into your regular routines that things get complicated, unnecessarily complicated. Things just suddenly start popping up, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whether it's busyness. Things just keep popping up and it occupies your attention and it quickly snuffs out whatever spiritual high, whatever new insight that you have gained. In fact, when you look at Jesus' ministry, we see that Jesus said yes to, yes, I will go into this ministry. I will start what you call me to do. And the ministry that Jesus was about to do was to give his life for humanity. And so as he's saying yes to that, he goes in, gets baptized, not because he needs it, but he's now representing God's people. After he is baptized, the heavens open, everyone sees it, spirit of God comes down upon him, and this voice appears that says, this is my son, this is my child whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. It's a, it's a marvelous moment. It's awesome. But look what happens right after that incredible moment. It isn't that things got better and they start flying around and just bam, 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 healing everyone there. What happens? He says, and then immediate, immediately after, it says he was led into the desert. And look at this key phrase. By the spirit not by satan it says he was led into the desert by god's spirit to be tempted by satan see god initiates this challenging process god initiates this direction to experience desert like circumstances in jesus's life to prep him for what is to come, this life-saving mission. You know, for each one of us, I want us to see that as our kind of picture as well. It, it shouldn't be abnormal for us, and you shouldn't feel too discouraged if you go through that difficult moment, that as soon as you have this great experience, this great insight with God, and then immediately after, you go through this period of desert-like experience in your soul where you feel like, where is God? I feel empty. I feel like there's nothing good. It feels like everything is dead around me. What was that whole experience if it only leads to this? You see, we see God's intention through Jesus Christ was to show us some things that we need to learn about our own life so that we can carry through God's kingdom come in our lives just as Jesus did. See, our darkest valleys just for Jesus was there to prune that path, to make sure that he would go all the way to the very end because Satan's main role was to convince Jesus there's another way, there's an easier way. 
There's a back door. You don't really have to follow all the way. You can do these things instead. And Jesus wanted to make sure, as an example for the rest of us, even when it doesn't make sense for us, we need to trust the Father. There is a purpose for why he brings us through our challenging times. So let's go through the challenges together. And I'm going to go through it really briefly. As an overall, we can spend like at least three sermons on each one of the challenges itself. But I'm just going to give you an overview because I think I just want to give you guys the point of it. And then we'll go on to our main takeaway. You see, challenges in our life, it can, can come at any moment. They can surprise us and uh, catch us off guard when we're at our strongest. Or, in this case, they can come out of a period of prolonged weakness. Notice when Satan showed up. He didn't show up before the fasting. He showed up after. After the 40 days, after the 40 nights. A prolonged period when Jesus is alone in the desert and fasting. At the very end, after a prolonged weakness, that's where Satan says, I have my opportunity to derail the Son of God. Notice the first two challenges that Satan does is he begins to directly challenge Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Those first two temptations that Satan gives, he keeps questioning, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, go up to the highest temple and jump off in front of all of the religious people that are around. And for sure, they will follow you. For sure, they'll be convinced that you are who you say you are. Why go through it your way? Which seems more difficult. Just do it in one shot. People will elevate you and you got your desire. If you are the son of God, do this. You see, the first thing that Satan tried to focus on for Jesus was making him focus on his physical provisions, on his physical needs. If you are the son of God, aren't you hungry? And what's the whole point of you staying in this desert and God, your father, doesn't provide your physical needs? You see, in our lives, we will have that same temptation too. If God loves you will be the challenge. If God loves you, if God really cares about you, you know your health? Why isn't it getting better? You know your financial situation? Why isn't that changing? You know, your, um, you know all of your relational needs that you have there? Why isn't that improving? You see, the first thing that Satan tries to bring to our attention is our most basic physical needs. If God loves you, how does his plan, his sovereignty work when you are suffering as you are? Just make bread. In the same way for our lives, we try to find other ways to accomplish our physical needs. We say, fine, maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe I need to find other ways where even when God's telling me that I should be fasting, does that really make sense? I should find a different way. I just make this bread, uh, uh, food become bread. It makes sense to me because why would God want me to die or starve? And we look for other ways of following God. But if we do that, it's not following him. It's following our physical needs, our physical desires. Look at the next one. The next one he turns his attention to pressuring Jesus 
through social expectations. Hey, if you are the son of God, and if people are going to worship you, doesn't it make sense, rather than going from person to person to person, why don't we just go to the temple area, and from there, because everyone's coming to church, everyone's coming to worship God, from there, why don't you just jump off the temple? And after you, as you jumped off, because scripture, and he's quoting Psalm 91, and he says, doesn't scripture said, say he will, he will uh, command the angels concerning you? That when you fall, you will not strike your foot against a rock because he will command the angels to lift you up. So why don't you put that to the test and do it if you really are God. And if you do that, won't all the people begin to follow you? See, what Satan does there, now he's proof texting. He uses the Bible and he finds some scripture and he takes out some of the words. Because if you actually read Psalm 91, verse 9 is what Satan leaves out. The most important part that adds context to the rest of what Satan says. And it's this. If you say, God is my refuge, and you make the Lord most high your dwelling... So in other words, the psalmist was saying in this place, he's saying, if you follow God, if you are determined and you say, yes, I'll follow him the way that he is calling me to follow, and he becomes my refuge, he becomes my only source of security, and I rest in him. Then he says, any challenge that comes your way, he will make sure that when you fall, he'll, concern, he'll command the angels concerning you to lift you up so you do not strike against the rocks. See, it was in the context of following God, of obedience. It's the context of Jesus hanging on and knowing that fasting, there's a reason behind that. And, and sheltering in God's sovereign plan. Rather than looking for other ways out and trying to proof text and saying, God, didn't you say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? And taking that out of context and saying, okay, good, so I'll jump here. And if I jump, then you should be able to do this for me. See, it's trying to manipulate God. To get what we want. See, sometimes for us, the outcome that we're looking for as we try to follow God and the challenge that we face as we try to follow him is we look for, and look for shortcuts to do God's will. We're not patient. We don't really trust all the way. And there's something that God wants to reveal to us as we trust all the way. And finally, the third temptation that we see, Satan now is just blatant. He doesn't say, if you are the son of God anymore. He's now taken God fully out of the picture. He says, let's not even talk about God right now. Let's take him out of the picture. And then he just blatantly offers Jesus an awesome deal. He says, you're supposed to come here to share this good news with all these people. And you know that these people are going to turn their backs on you. You know that they're going to hate you. You know that they're going to torture you. You know they're going to betray you. And you're going to have to die on the cross. Let's make things easy, Satan says. If you right now bow down and worship me. Because I'm the prince of this world. And all these people are mine. Because of their sin. I promise you. You bow down and worship me. I will give you all the people back. And you don't have to go through your suffering. 
See, Satan presented Jesus with an ethical, moral dilemma at this point, saying, let's take God out of the picture, and let's just try to make your life as easy as possible. And a lot of times when we're trying to follow God, that's the challenge that we face too. We don't want to go through all those steps. We don't want to be patient. We don't want to work through what God is doing so that he can operate on the barriers that are in our heart that keep us from really experiencing God, from really encountering his presence in our life. See, what God, God wants to do through those challenges is to keep breaking those things down. But if we make deals and if we skirt God's way in exchange for the easier path that Satan has to offer, we don't experience God. We just experience our own wisdom, our own strategies. So a lot of times we begin to live by, does the end justify the means? If the ends is the same as Satan presented to Jesus, that all these people will come to you, isn't that the goal? The means through which you do it, does that really matter? And Jesus says, yes, it does. The means matters. The means are the way of preparing our heart to really meet God. But it doesn't end there. So those are just the temptations. Look what comes right after. The temptations are done. Um, the angels come and attend Jesus. And now he's on his way. And if you think that was hard, that we have to face these challenges in our life, look at what Jesus does right after he goes through all those temptations. He then goes and he talks about this now or this then is how you shall now live. And he gives this sermon on the mount and he gives all of these ways of living righteously. What it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 5.20. He says, your righteousness has to be better than the most righteous religious leaders that you know. He says this, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, anyone who is even angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who even says, fool, to another is in danger of the fires of hell. Show of hands, how many of you guys called someone a fool? My hand's up. Yeah, we're all going to hell together. <laughs> like, this is really bad. Right? Look at what he says. Look at the next thing. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and for some of us, who looks at a man lustfully, has already committed adultery in his or her heart. Even I focus. We didn't do anything. We just glance at someone. He says, even that is sin. He said, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, if anyone slaps you across the face, and we know the other side, he says, turn the other cheek, and we invite them, do it again. Who does that? Have you ever been slapped across the face or punched across the face? Have any one of us ever practiced that saying, ow, all right, this side. Yeah, like, who like, it's, when we hear that, we're like, yeah, skip. We're not doing it. And this is how Jesus says we're called to live. He says, you've heard it said that love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. This is the Old Testament laws. But then he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Like, when was the last time you had an enemy that bothered you so much, you hated so much? Was your first instinct, Lord, bless them. I love them so much. Was that your first instinct? It's like, cursed are you, right? Born of whatever, right? May sulfur rain, hellfire come down, right? Like, we're so angry. Like, how do we do this? Like, the first challenges, the temptations that we go through, yes, those are hard enough. But when Jesus says, this is what kingdom people act like, and if we don't act like this, he says, we are in danger of the fire of hell. Like, how is anyone supposed to go to heaven? The very last thing that he says in the Sermon on the Mount is he says, so be perfect, he says. Be perfect just like your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but this brief uh, reading, because I left out a lot. There was a lot of other things in here, but I left those other things out. Just a brief run-through of that. I'm already not making it. I'm not going to heaven. It's clear. Right? There's no possible way. This really is impossible. No one can do it. But here's the good news. It doesn't sound like good news, but here's the good news. It's supposed to be impossible. That's the good news. It's supposed to be impossible. You know, remember Jesus... um, when he was with the disciples and he was talking to a really rich man. So for this rich man, his main challenge, why he can't experience God is because he's so rich. Right? And because he has so many possessions, it's hard for him to let go of control of his own life. Because he always could purchase or he could always do things with his money and then with his power any way that he wanted. And God, Jesus was saying to him, it isn't the money that's sinful. It's your grasp of it that's keeping you from fully experiencing God because you need to understand in your own heart, you need God in your life. But for the rich man, that's going to be, it's an impossible thing because he knows deep in his heart, I don't really need God because I can buy things if I need it. I don't really need God because I have all these resources around me that I can connect with to fill those needs. And this is why Jesus says to the rich man, your challenge is to sell everything that you have and then come follow me. Why? Because Jesus is not saying everyone who follows him should be poor. What Jesus is saying is because you can't handle money and worship God. There's, an, there's that barrier. This is why he says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. And so to that... The people look at Jesus saying, then who then can be saved? It's impossible. No one can be saved because everyone understood this rich metaphor. Because we all have one. We may not be rich in money, but we're, we have our hold on something else. And what was Jesus' answer to the disciples and to all those who are watching this whole exchange between him and the rich young ruler? Jesus' answer was, for man, this is impossible. And he acknowledges it. What I'm asking you to do, he says, is impossible. You can't do it. No possible way. Don't even try. 
He says, you cannot do it. But then he adds this qualifier. But for God, all things are possible. So what does that mean? See, brothers and sisters, the whole point of this, when we go through our temptations and it seems impossible, when we go through trying to follow the laws and it seems impossible, the whole point of this is as we go through it is to recognize, wow, I can't do it. And Jesus says, so go and cling to the Father because he's the only one that can get you through it, through his grace, through his power, through his presence. You see, when we cling to God our Father and we realize I can't do anything about what's going on in my life and I keep faltering in this area and we keep holding on to him, as we hold on, those things that are grappling into our heart that keeps us from really experiencing God, he says, let those, let those be pruned away. Let those challenges keep scalping those things out of your life. Because as it is, at one point you'll see because you refuse to let go of God instead of holding on to those other things and you keep holding on to God, what you realize is, wow, God showed up and he saved me. He's rescued me. I'm experiencing him in a way that I've never experienced before. You see, we need to pray and to keep drawing near to God because God wants to show us that his power changes our circumstances. His power changes our hearts, not what we are dependent upon. See, only God's power and presence breaks the power of our challenges. Only God's power and presence provides a way when there seems to be no other way. He wants it like that. Not because he wants to bottleneck everything to him. It's because that's the only thing that will convince us that he really is who he says he is, then we are able to say, yes, Jesus is Lord. So facing, how do we face our impossible challenge? And I want to end it with this. In Mark 9, 27 to 28, there is this scene that's happening a young boy is possessed by an evil spirit. Father is going frantic because this evil spirit keeps causing the young boy to jump into the fire. And the young boy is always like gurgling in his mouth, almost, you know, trying to commit suicide and all this kind of stuff. And the father is exhausted. It's not just that one moment. It's his whole young boy's life, this demonic presence has been just show, so shrouded upon this young boy that the father's attention is always on him. He can't leave him. It's affecting his work. It's affecting all of his other relationships. It's, it's affecting his own sanity. And he brings him to the disciples saying, can you do something? Because my whole life is all wrapped up in this. And I can't change it. And no doctors, nothing changes my son. And it's killing me. And the disciples, they said, don't worry, we can handle it. And they're like going, in Jesus' name, get out. In Jesus' name, get out. Or get out, you evil spirit. And nothing's changing. In fact, the evil spirit's getting worse. And then finally, Jesus shows up. And he looks at the father. And he says, what's the problem? And he goes, look at him. This is the problem. 
And then Jesus gives him a very simple statement saying, all things are possible for him who believes. Do you believe that God can do this? And the father's response is very interesting. He says, yes, I believe. But then he says, but help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, he's like, I don't really believe, right? I'm saying I believe, but I don't really believe. And that really is the tension that we all go through in our everyday life, right? I believe, but not really, Lord, because I won't go all the way. And the disciples, they couldn't do anything about it either. And the disciples, they're just learning. And then at the end, the disciples get so embarrassed because they couldn't do it. Um, and so they go meet Jesus um, privately indoors, and they ask him a question, why couldn't we do it? How come you can do it, but we couldn't do it? And Jesus gives them this answer. And this is the answer for all of our challenges that we face. He says, this kind of spirit can only be driven out through prayer. In other words, your impossibility that you're experiencing, your battle that you're going through, your impossible circumstance that you keep on facing, whatever spirit, whatever demonic presence, whatever hardship, whatever curse that is, Jesus says this one is impossible. And can it only be driven out, he says, through prayer. What does that mean? He says we don't pray. Even though we say we do, we don't. We don't really, just like the like the father, I'm praying but not really because I don't really believe that prayer is the answer. And Jesus says, you have to live like prayer is the only answer. And that's the hard part for all of us because we don't live like prayer really is the answer. We don't live like God can really do it. We throw up maybe a Hail Mary prayer, but we live as if that might not happen. And Jesus says, all things are possible for him who believes, meaning it has to come into your head, this is the only thing that can change this circumstance. This is why when the blind man was on the road and Jesus was passing by, this prayer that was given, and if we don't know how to pray, we can pray this simple prayer that's called the Jesus prayer. Blind Bartimaeus, as Jesus was passing by, said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That mercy is saying, I know I'm wretched. I know I don't believe. I know I have trouble with all my life and I have all these ulterior motives. And that's why he's asking for mercy. Have mercy upon me because the true need that I have is my blindness. But I know that I don't just want to ask you for a healing of my blindness. But at the same time, that's really what I want. Have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. And in the same way in our life, that's where we start. We go to God and saying, here's my impossible challenge, and I really just want it to go away, but I also know at the same time my motives are mixed because as soon as it goes away, I know my, my attitude. I'm just going to go back to living my own life the way that I always live it. But I don't want to do that, but I know that I'm tempted to do that. So, oh, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He says it starts there, and God begins to start breaking down that barrier, breaking down those challenges in our life. I want to encourage each one of us. Think about what your challenge, your impossible challenge is. And just lift up the Jesus prayer. Think about it and just say, Lord, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me, a sinner. 
Next week, we're going to be handing out to each one of us cards as Lent begins on February 22nd. And it goes all the way through to Easter. And for Lent this year, what Lent is, is typically in the church calendar, 40 days before Easter, uh, what people do is they decide, I'm going to give something up. And by giving that something up, it reminds them every time they want that something, it reminds them, oh, God is my provider, right? So that's basically why the practice of, of Lent is there. It's not just to diet or, or other stuff. But this year, instead of saying, I want to give something up, I want to ask each one of you guys, give up one minute of your day. I want you to surrender one minute. It can be more. But every day for the next 40 days beginning Lent, give up one minute of your day. And we're going to give you these cards. And the cards will look like this, if we can just put it up on the screen. Um, the cards will look like this. And these are the three prompt questions that put this card somewhere, like maybe on your bathroom when, uh, mirror, if that's what you look at every day and you know that you're going to look at it, where you can spend one minute or at your desk or wherever. But here are the three prompts. The first one is, what is your impossible battle that you're facing? What is it? What's your impossible situation? This picture is about Aaron, uh, sorry, Moses. Remember the battle uh, with the um, Amalekites? Right, so the battle is happening down here, right? And what God called Moses to do was lift up his hands. And supposedly, it's supposed to represent prayer or surrender to God. And by doing this, he says, as, as long as his hands were lifted, the Israelites were winning the battle. But when his arms grew tired and he put his hands down, then the Amalekites began to win. And so this, uh, see this as symbolizing your prayer life. Don't let the challenge or the battles that you're facing overwhelm you. Keep praying it. And I'm challenging you one minute a day, just put up your hands as an act of your prayer, an act of uh, as your surrender. And at the same time, your second prompt is, who are your Aaron and her? Moses' hands were getting so tired because it's an all-day thing. It's, it, it is supposed to be fatiguing, right? But Moses didn't want to give up. And so Aaron and her, they both saw what was happening, and so they came and they started supporting Moses' arms to lift it up so that this battle could be won. I want you to ask yourself, who are two other brothers or sisters that I can entrust to pray for me, to be my hand holders that will do this during Lent as well? Whatever that battle is. And they have to be significant enough that you can share with them, this is my battle that I'm facing, and I want you every day to help me lift up my hands in prayer. And the last one is your one minute that you have, pray the Jesus prayer. If that's all the time that you have, just pray the Jesus prayer over and over again for a minute. For those of you who may have a little bit more time, I, want, I invite you to pray through Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is a prayer that becomes this kind of like metaphor of these battles that we face and how God comes and rescues us. And I want you to pronounce that on your battle. So, brothers and sisters, as we begin to prepare for Easter, next week we will give you this. And the challenges that we are facing in our life, I want to invite us, this one simple act, one minute prayer. To start thinking about what that battle is and saying, Lord, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And just keep praying that every day.
engaging with him to see what God has in store for each and every one of us.